Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay. So, you remember where we are. We are in chapter 11. Um, we've had six trumpets. And then, in, in John's normal fashion, he holds off the seventh trumpet with a big interlude. You'll remember um, this interlude. Um, we started la- last week with um, an angel coming down. He had that, that, the scroll that was sealed. He had the scroll in his hand. And he um, gave it to John, and John ate it, and it was uh, sweet to the taste, but bitter in his stomach. And um, then John was recommissioned to um, prophesy. Um, So now, as we come into chapter 11, what we're going to find in this chapter is finally after... Whatever it is, uh, seven, eight chapters, you're finally going to find out what was inside the scroll. (laughs) Um, That little scroll that was opened, now the contents are revealed. Um, So that's what what, um, today is. Today is the measuring of the temple and the two witnesses. Um, So after next week... Um, we're at the halfway point in Revelation. So we, we've, made it, we've made it halfway. Woohoo! <laughs> um, okay. Well, to get us some context, will somebody please uh, volunteer to read the entire section under consideration for today? Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because the two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Thank you. Okay. So, on one level, what the story is telling us is pretty straightforward. John has given us a ruler, essentially, and he's told to measure the temple. He's told to measure the inside of the temple where the altar and all the people worship. But the outer court, he's told, don't measure that. And the Gentiles are going to trample on that. And they're going to trample on the holy city. And then you, the scene changes and you see two witnesses. And they prophesy for, uh, for what is it, 42 months. And they prophesy and there's fire coming out of their mouth. And 
all this kind of stuff. And then they're killed by some beast and their, their bodies lay on the streets for three and a half days. And then they're resurrected and ascend into heaven. And finally, um, people repent. Um, and uh, there's an earthquake. The earthquake only kills a tenth of the city. Um, and the rest repent uh, and, and give glory to God. Um, so on one level, that's, that's, what the, that's what the story describes. And that's, from a narrative standpoint, that's pretty simple. But what does it all mean? What does it represent? That's the, that can be the tricky part. And there have been lots of very crazy ideas about these two chapters. So... Starting from the beginning, um, he's given a rod, like a reed, and he's told to measure the temple, the altar, and those who worship. Um, that's, um, that's a, what's it called? A reference. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Stupid time change. <laughs> the, the reference uh, is to both Ezekiel and Zechariah. I want to try Zechariah. So let's go to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As I've said many times, the best way to understand what John's up to is to check his references. Zechariah 2, 1 and 2. Okay, so obviously that's a similar idea. Um, Zechariah is given a, me, a read and he's told to measure. Good morning. Good morning. Um, he's told to measure um, uh, Jerusalem. Um, I'm going to check Ezekiel just to be sure. It doesn't have what I'm looking for. Um, Ezekiel 40 verse 3, if you're taking notes, is the other reference. I'll read it here. And he brought me, uh, when he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze with a line of flax and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing at the gateway. Um, so so th- there are two references there. So John is picking up on this idea in the Old Testament prophets that you can, that you measure the city. Well, what does it mean? What is it? refer to with the idea um, to measure the city. Uh, um, by the way, the rod in Ezekiel is described as six cubits, which is about 10 feet. But here, John doesn't tell you how big his, his rod is. Um, if you check out Zechariah 2 up to verse 5, you'll see what it means. And it refers to protection. That's a, that's a key here. So when you measure the city, the, idea, the image of measuring the city is, is um, a metaphor for putting the city under God's protection. Okay? So um, that's, um, that's an important concept for here. So you've got this temple... Um, and so he's given a read and he's told to measure the temple of God. And so we've said that that refers to um, putting the temple under God's protection. Now, how many of you can remember um, from our very first lesson, <laughs> when was Revelation written? About what year? It's generally common knowledge. No. Much later. 90. It's written about 90 AD. So, in 90 AD, what is the current state of the temple in Jerusalem? Gone. Gone. Just, like, just as gone as it is today. Right? Romans destroyed that in 70 AD. So what is it not referring to? The temple in Jerusalem. Right? 
in order for this to work for the temple in Jerusalem, you've got to redate the whole book to before 70 AD. And that presents a whole host of problems. And there are some scholars who try to do that. Um, but generally, nobody has ever really bought that. So it's not, so it's not the, the Jerusalem temple because it's gone. All right. What other, what other temples can it be? What temple have we seen thus far? Figuratively, the Christian church. Figuratively, the Christian church. That is the correct answer. Absolutely. Now, let's, let's um, prove that from Scripture uh, because that's, it's important for us to do so. Um, I think the reference we want is 1 Corinthians 3. First Corinthians chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. So you, you could do an interesting study looking at all the three sixteens in the Bible. Um, but First Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen. Someone want to read that when they get it, loud voice, if possible. And seventeen. Right. Um, there's its plain as there. That's as plain as the day. Uh, plain as the nose in your face. The, for, Paul says in First Corinthians, "You, the Christian church, is the temple." The other option uh, that's not the correct option is it could be the heaven, heavenly temple, but that, I don't think that works, uh, especially with the clear references here. There's also Romans twelve one and two, and First Peter two five. Um, additionally, we've already heard in the letters that if though to those who conquer, they will become pillars in the temple of God. Right. We, we already read that. So they've already been likened. The Christian church has already been um, imagery about the Christian church as a temple has already been used in this book. Um, so it's the so it's the church. All right. So now. The first, the first thing, it makes sense. He's told to measure the temple, which means that the church is under God's protection. Right? The church, like Jerusalem of old, is under God's protection. But in verse 2, he says to leave the court which is without the temple. To, outside the temple. Uh, to leave it out, for it has been given to the nations, to the Gentiles, that they should tread upon it for 42 months. So, in the temple, you had, um, you had the, in, you had the, in Jesus' day, you had a, a section of the temple, right when you first came in, it was technically within the temple, it was called the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a, a Gentile, who uh, was what's called a God-fearer, right? You didn't want to uh, go the whole way and uh, circumcise yourself and become a Jew, but you still believed in the one God of Israel and tried to f- do the best you can. Um, you know, they're like the people who come to church on Sunday but don't want to join, right? Those kind of people, you know. They, they, they've, they've sat in the pew for 50 years and they still don't want to join the church. They just, they're happy... Though, there's those kinds of people have always been around. And in, in the first century, they were Gentiles who kind of fancied the Jewish religion. And they joined themselves and they became God-fears. Well, there were so many of them that they made a special outer court for them. So they could enter into the temple, into this outer court of the Gentiles. That's what's being described here. Except, God, did, it's saying that it's not measured. Which means... It's not under God's protection, right? So, if the temple is the Christian church, in what ways is the Christian church under God's protection? And in what ways is the Christian church not under God's protection? I think this is telling us that we need to be fully committed to be under God's uh, full protection rather than a half you know, being Christian. That's that's a um, that smart. That is what um, 
Ian Boxall, one of the commentaries I've been using, Black's New Testament Commentary on Revelation, 2006. That's what he says. Um, he says that the, um, the court of the Gentiles here not being measured refers to Christians who, um, Christians who are, uh, are, not, are unfaithful, Christians who um, have fought, backslidden. Think of those letters. Right. Um, remember, there, there was only two churches who had God's full stamp of approval. And so um, if you don't have God's full stamp of approval, then that, um, yeah, that, that you're not going to be under God's protection. That's one option. There's another option. I tend to lean towards this other option. The other options a tad bit more complicated. But the other option is. While on the outs, it has to do with the outs, outer and inner life of the church, right? To, what, to the world, what does the Christian church look like? We look like a persecuted, maligned bunch of weaklings, right? Christianity doesn't look strong on the outside. I mean, we're made fun of in the media. Christianity has typically been persecuted and it shouldn't, be, you know, this kind of thing. On the, out, on the outside... We're being persecuted. We're being trampled. But on the inside, we have God's protection. So, you can't go as far as saying that the Gentiles, what they're talking about here, are unbelievers? No, because it's still talking about the temple. The, the court of the temple, the court of the Gentiles is still part of the temple. Yeah. Um, so I think it has to do with the, the way the church looks like on the outside and the way it is on the Paul has a similar phrase. Um, Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Right? Paul's like referring to persecution there. You know, it doesn't look like um, uh, the Christian church doesn't look like much, but inside we have God's protection, even though we don't look like much. And that really matches the theme of Revelation, and we'll see that here in a second. Okay, so um, um, yeah, so this is um, this. Uh, let me read this to you from uh, Richard Bauckham, who's a one of the experts on Revelation. Here, he says the temple and the city represent the church. The inner, hidden reality of the church as the kingdom of priests who worship God in his presence is distinguished from the outward experience of the church exposed to persecution by the kingdom of nations. I, I, that seems to make sense to me. Um, and and a, bunch of com- a bunch of commentators go that way. Okay. 42 months. Why 42 months? This is big. John is going to reference. John references this like three different ways in this chapter. You have uh, three and a half years. You have forty-two months. You've got one thousand five hundred and twenty. One thousand two hundred and sixty. Two hundred sixty. Thank you. Two hundred sixty days. You also have time, times, and um, half a time. In this chapter, the three and a half is actually days, not years. Yes. Within this chapter. Yeah. Days, years, and all gets. Yeah, as you know, there's many days. days. Um, but you'll. Um, but uh, so days here, uh, years elsewhere. Okay. Um, what do you know? What do you notice about this? Tell me. Talk to me about three and a half. What is what is three and a half? Half of seven. Half of seven. That's what we want. It's half of seven. Good. 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 Seven. Remember, I hinted you out several months ago that sheet with all the numbers and what they mean seven means completeness divine completeness seven days of the week 
this kind of thing. Half of it is not complete, right? It, it's ha- so. It, what does it mean? The simple answer is this: it means a limited period of time. That's the sim- Every time you see it, just think a limited period of time. All right. What's it referring to? What's the image it's being drawn? It's being drawn from the red book at the back, which don't, you don't have to get. We're not looking at it. I'm just telling you, it's drawn from the red book at the back. The, the Apocrypha for the, for the people on the, on the interweaves. Um, the Apocrypha. There, um, I'll harp this horse again, but the Apocrypha need to be in your Bibles. They need to be in your Bibles because this image is completely lost on you unless you know something about the Apocrypha. It's, it's, you will not get it. Jesus refers to this. Paul refers to this. Daniel prophesies this. It's all, and the, the prophecies in Daniel are Daniel 9. Daniel 9, 27, we're not going to go there. Daniel 7, 25, 12, 7, and 9, 27. Right? When Jesus says, let the abomination of desolation, which stands where it ought not, let the reader understand as is spoken by Daniel the prophet. He's referring to this, which is referring to the events in the, in the Red Book. Specifically, the book of First Maccabees. Now, most of you were here when we covered um, the history. What's First Maccabees? What happens? How many of you remember? Okay. Remember, the, the, the Syrians take control of the Holy Land. And the, the Syrian general, or, or not general, um, king, his name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He viewed himself as God in the flesh. God manifest to the world. And um, he went on a, a, a campaign to Hellenize or Greekify the Jews. And it included him offering a pig on the altar to Zeus. Desecrating the temple because pigs are unclean and that kind of thing. He did that. The temple was um, profaned. And so his persecution of the Jews lasted three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. Then a, a, a guerrilla leader, a guerrilla band led by a guy named Judas, who was nicknamed the Hammer, Maccabeus, which is Judas the Hammer. Um, they, 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 using guerrilla warfare, beat the Syrian army and regained Jewish independence for a period of about a hundred and some odd years before the Romans came and said, you guys really shouldn't govern yourselves. Let us do it for you. Um, that's what Hanukkah is about, right? Jesus is in, when it says in the Gospels, Jesus is, was in the temple during the, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. It's referring to this, right? Um, Paul and Jesus. and So this becomes, uh, in, in the world of the first century, a big major concept, right? When, if, it's like us using the word D-Day, right? We, oh, when you go into a big exam, you say, uh, it's, it's D-Day, right? We, we, we're using an image from our past, which was a decisive moment. And everybody knows what we mean. It, it, is, it is the decisive battle. It's the turning point, right? Similar idea here with this three and a half years, 42 months, right? It, it refers to um, a specific short period of time of persecution by someone who the Jews thought was basically the incarnation of Satan himself, Right? And, and so out of this, we get images of the Antichrist and all sorts of stuff in the New Testament comes out of this. Um, but that, this is going to pop up several times. Um, and I don't want to have to repeat this every time. So that's why you're getting at the spiel now. So it means, in the short run, it means a, a limited period of suffering. The image is drawn from the fact that Antiochus IV... Um, uh, desecrated the temple and persecuted the Jews for a period of 42 months. That's, that's, it was branded into their history. And that's, and, and, the, and the New Testament all over the place picks this up and uses it. Uh, if you want to know what happened, feel free to grab a copy of the Red Book at the back. Read first, the first 
10 chapters of 1 Maccabees, and you'll, you'll get the history. All right. So there's going to be a... So what is it saying? It's saying the point then is there is going to be a period, a short period of time, right? A limited duration of persecution for the Christian church, right? That's what, Paul, that's what John is saying. The church will be persecuted, but it will also be under God's protection. And that persecution will be for a limited period of time, right? So that, that's, that's, that's what he's saying here in the first part. Then as we move on, he, he, say, he talks about the two witnesses. Um, um, and and, and he, he moves. Um, uh, oh, and, and so John, notice that John takes, John says uh, in, in verse 2, he switches metaphors. How does he switch? He goes from a temple to what? They will tread. So he says the court of the Gentiles will be trampled. And then he switches his metaphor half sentence. Which is, this is why Revelation can be confusing. To the holy city. Right? What's the holy city? That one's easy. Or what, what's, right? what is the holy city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Right? Now, Jerusalem, and now we're Revelation now, so never, things are not ever that simple. Right? What's the new Jerusalem? The church. No, it's not heaven. There are no streets of gold, people. There are no streets of gold. We'll get there in chapter 22. Revelation does not have pearly, or heaven does not have pearly gates with streets of gold. It's the church. If you look in chapter 22, it says, come, I will show you the bride of Christ. And then he showed him the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven with pearly gates and streets of gold. It's referring to the glorified church. Revelation has two cities. The New Jerusalem and another city, which we'll talk about in a moment. And it also has two women, which we'll learn later. Right? There's two women. There's two cities. Right? There's two kingdoms. There's a, there's a, a, a Christ and an Antichrist. Right? There's, so there's, when, when God sets up a church, the devil sets up a chapel next door. Right? That's, that, that, that's the kind of thing you're looking at here. So, the, the holy city, Jerusalem, is used as a reference for the church, right? The Jerusalem above is our home, and, right? The, the church is the new Jerusalem. All right. So, just noticing that. So, now you have these two witnesses. And they prophesy for uh, 260 days, clothed in sackcloth. What does sackcloth refer to? That's the easy thing. Repentance. Repentance. Easy. So, what is, so their garments match their message right that's simple they're preaching a message of repentance repentance to the nations um they prophesy and there's two of them why two any any guesses on why two bingo there it is right there moses required two witnesses that's exactly right that's exactly the reference deuteronomy um 18? 19? 19. Deuteronomy 19.15. Everything shall be established on the matter on the mouth of two or three witnesses. Great. Um, you have two witnesses. What do they represent? Verse 4 gives you a clue. Now some people think... Now notice it doesn't give you their names... It doesn't give you their names, but verse 4 should help you. The question that some people ask, are these two literal, and, and immediately your warning bell should go off. Um, are these two literal historical individuals that will come back before the end of the world? Uh, it is a, the, that is exactly the references that he's drawing from. Um, remember, uh, we, can, we can go there. Remember, look in verse 6. They have the power to shut heaven that it rain, does not rain for the days of their prophecy. Remember, that's Elijah. If you, go, you can go to um, 
uh, the book of Kings for that story. Remember, he shuts up the rain and, and all that stuff. And then they have the power over the waters to turn into blood and to smite the earth with every plague. Water into blood, Moses, right? Um, Moses and Elijah both confronted paganism. They both, con- Elijah confronts Baal, Moses confronts the gods of Egypt, right? They both confront and oppose paganism, and that's why they're, they're being cited. But it is not literally Moses and Elijah, and we know that because of verse 4. Um, besides the olive tree thing, which we'll look at in a second, what, how are they described? Two lampstands. What are lampstands in Revelation? Remember back to the very first chapter. How many lampstands were there in the very first chapter? Seven. Seven. And what did they represent? Seven churches. churches. Aha. Interpret images with images. Right? If, if, If John, if you're in a book and he uses an image... And it, later on in the same book, it uses the same image. Interpret it the same way. <laughs> Don't interpret it a different way. The two witnesses are two churches. Two. Why two, not seven? Because not all Christians are called to be martyrs. Only some are called to be martyrs. Two out of seven. Don't, no, don't take the number literally, of course, but that's the idea. Only some of the church are called to prophesy, and only some of the church are called to die. Right? Or, additionally, only two of the seven are actually doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> right? Which happens to work as well. Um, is it, is it, which one is it? Maybe it's a little of both. Right? Um, um, sometimes when you have equal alternatives, well, it's, it's this. Oh, no, no. Well, it's, it's this. Well, sometimes the answer is yes. Um, and, and that could be here too. Um, the olive branches are a reference to. Um, oh, by the way, your. Um, so Elijah calling down the rain. Do you want the references for that? You taking notes? Elijah failing to call, uh, calling down for uh, no rain is 1 Kings 17 and 18. 17, 1 through 7, 18. 1 and 41 to 46. And then Moses is uh, Exodus chapters 7 through 12, especially 7, 14 to 25. So you people write notes. Those are your references. Um, okay, olive trees. Uh, we don't have time to look this up because time runneth quickly. Uh, Zechariah 4, 2 to 3 and 11 to 14. Um, Zechariah in here. The lampstand is described as Israel, and the olive trees are the governor Zerubbabel, who is, happens to be the Davidic prince. Um, he's, he's of the line of David, but uh, it's under Persian rule, so he's only a governor. And the Joshua, <laughs> um, did you know that the name Joshua is Jesus? Just, just, just in case you didn't know that, the name Jesus is Joshua. It's the same name. All right. And Jesus, the high priest. Um, uh, so you have pro, uh, kings and priests, right? Kings and priests. That's consistent with Revelation. Revelation says that all baptized Christians are kings and priests with Christ. Right. So you have that's what the olive branch refers to. OK, so we've got two witnesses. Let's back up and parse all this. We have two witnesses. They prophesy for a limited period of time. We see that these two witnesses are the church. The church in its prophetic capacity. The the church as it calls out to the world and says, what you're doing is wrong. Repent and trust in Jesus. Right? Uh, The the countercultural church as it proclaims God's message God's standards and calls out to people to repent, right? Um, The fire out of their mouth, uh, all this kind of stuff, it torments the world because the Christian message is not a popular one. People don't like to hear what Christians have to say, Um, right? They don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to hear that there's a God because that means they're morally 
um, morally uh, required to give account of, of, of their actions. They want, to, they want to be the captain of their own ship, the master of their own destiny, right? They want to choose their own beliefs and choose their own religion and choose their own morality and what's good for you is not good for me and whatever else you want to say. The Christian church comes out into the world and confronts the world's way of thinking with God's way of thinking and commands it to repent and the world doesn't like it. And so it's like fire. Additionally, um, the word of God, Jeremiah, what is it, seven, Jeremiah 5, 14, um, Let's look at that one. We have a few moments. That's, so this fire, coming, this fire coming out of their mouths. Jeremiah 5.14 is the reference that you should be thinking of. I think some of you might be familiar with this phrase. Uh, Jeremiah 5.14. Someone want to read that when you get it? Therefore thus says the Lord the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I made you my words in your mouth of fire. And this people, wood, and the fire shall consume them. Right. There you go. My words are going to be in your mouth like fire, and this people will be wood. Right? The word of God is a consuming fire. Um, so that, um, so that's, uh, that's an important um, uh, distinction there. Okay. Um, so the, uh, and so they're, then they're, they're, a monster comes out of the abyss. What is this monster? Stay tuned in the future weeks. He pops up in chapter 13. We'll discuss him then. Uh, but he makes a brief appearance here uh, because. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll get to what the monster, the beast refers to, the history, the background. That's for the future. But he pops up here just because. Um, a monster comes out of the, the abyss and kills them. Right? So the idea here is, is simple. Um, oh, nope, there is, a, there is a verse we need to look at. Um, Acts. Oh, where is it? Acts, look, let's go to Acts chapter 1. I think 18. Um, if you needed any more proof that the, that the, that the, um, the two witnesses are the church... This is the other one. Acts 1, is it 18? No. Uh, pardon? Not 18. Um, that, that's, that, where is that? I know it's in Acts 1. Um, uh, verse 8. Yeah, it's verse 8, eight not 18. I knew I was close. All right. But you shall receive power. Remember, he's speaking to the, the 12. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right. That, that's the Christian church is called to witness to Jesus. And sometime, and the world will oppose us. That's the, the idea. The world will oppose us. And it will sometimes kill us. We'll face persecution. Um, and, and, um, and, and yeah, and, and so that's the, the, um, the, the, the image there. Now, um, so their dead bodies, they're killed. Um, and their dead bodies lie in the streets. This is where in verse 8. Um, um, the street with, um, of the great city, which is spiritually or figuratively or allegorically called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Um, so where was the Lord crucified? Outside Jerusalem. Outside Jerusalem. But this is not referring only to Jerusalem because it's called the great city. This is a big concept in Revelation. We're going to see the city pop up again. Um, Here's the idea. Babylon, Egypt, Jerusalem. Egypt's not really a city, but Babylon, Sodom, Gomorrah, Jerusalem, Rome, right? Big cities. And so, like we said, the church 
is the new Jerusalem, right? A city. It's described as a city. Well, human society, human society, as it stands opposed to God and demands our worship and allegiance, that human society is described in the Bible as if it were a city. Babylon the Great, right? A city completely organized and opposed to God, right? What happens? God tells humanity in Genesis, spread out over the earth. And what do they do? They make a city and they try to build a tower up to heaven and they call it Babel, right? It's a, um, so the great city is any city in which Christians are called to worship, to, to proclaim the gospel and which is a city which is organized uh, against God and his people. So it refers to society in general, uh, human society opposed to God in general. That's the best way I can describe it. Just like the church is God's society in, in, in one sense. All right. So in, 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 their, in their day, the city has a name, right? What's the name of the city in, in John's day? Um, it's Rome, right? There's only one city in Rome. There's only one city in John's world which has this kind of power and which literally is the name of the entire, the entire known world at the time. And that's Rome, right? So here in Revelation... The, 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 the great city is Rome, but it applies to Stratford and New York and Berlin and Moscow and where, any other city, any other time and society and place that's against God where the Christian church is called to, um, called to witness. Um, so that, that's an important, um, an important note. Um, and so they're um, losing time. So the two, the, so um, three and a half days, and then God breathes life into them, um, and they and, and they are resurrected and, and go to uh, heaven. Um, three and a half days, kind of mixing the metaphor between this and. Three days, Jesus, to, in, you know, three days and three nights. Um, did you notice in these, these witnesses, their lives are very similar to Jesus. They come, they proclaim the truth, they're persecuted, they die, they rise again. The Christian church is called to follow in Christ's example, right? That's the point. That's, that's the point here. We're called to go out into the world and to witness to Jesus um, and and. and Follow his example, even if that leads to, to persecution or death, right? Because the promise here is, thou, do not fear him who can kill the body, but afterwards can do nothing more. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw both body and soul into hell. Yes, fear him, right? That's, that's the idea here. Um, okay, so the, then there's a great earthquake. And the great earthquake, a tenth of the city fall and they were killed in the earthquake 7,000 people but the rest of the city nine tenths repent and give glory to God notice this this is this is interesting in Revelation all of the remember all of those judgments and plagues that we've been seeing the fire literal fire and brimstone and all that stuff was all, never brought anybody to repentance Right? It killed a quarter or, or a third of the earth, right? And, and the rest didn't repent, right? Here, what makes them repent? What finally makes people repent? It is not the law, it's not the threat of divine judgment that is going to make people repent. What will make them repent? The me- Christians huh, proclaiming repentance. And living a Christian life in such a way that they follow their Savior even unto death. It is the martyr-style witness of the church which will cause people to repent. When, 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 Christian, when the world sees 
that you believe this and you're willing to go to the grave believing it, that'll do far more than telling people you're, you're a messed up individual and you're going to go to hell, right? When, when you show them the love of Christ, even unto death, and you show them that love that Christ had, right? Greater love has no man than this, that a man give his life for his friends, right? Uh, That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. And Paul uses that too in what, Romans 14 or somewhere in the last half of Romans. Um, um, so this is the content of the scroll. This is the message that Revelation wants to convey to you. It, how does the church conquer the world? Well, how did Christ conquer the world? But, well, the church, how did, but how did Christ conquer the world? Christ came and died. Right? He, he, he loved the world to the, even unto death, the death of the cross. He came and he suffered and died. And in that, what looked like weakness, he, he conquered the world. And that's where we're going next week. Um, uh, uh, next week, we're doing that great piece that Handel... The kingdom, the, the hallelujah chorus, right? The, the kingdoms of the world did become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, right? That's next week. Because what finally converts the nations is not the sword. It's not death and judgment, although death and judgment are very real, right? It's following in Christ's example and, and, and being willing to die um, for the faith. It is, it is showing the love to others, even to your own hurt. Um, and that's the second woe. Look, verse 14, the second woe was passed. The third is coming quickly. Um, that's, the, that's the judgment. The judgment, of the, the second of the three woes is the proclamation of the Christian church. And this is a summary of what the entire book of Revelation is about. You, the Christian church is called to bear faithful witness to Jesus Christ, to proclaim both law and gospel, and to do so even to our own death, to love our God and love our neighbor as ourselves, to do so without getting corrupted by the world, but to do so faithfully even to the point of death. And if you do that, uh, if, if you're faithful to death, Christ promises that the world can't, even if the world kill you, it can't take you out of God's hands. That God is the one who's in control and in power. Um, some, um, some, uh, there was some, some good, um, some, uh, good things here. Um, where was it? Is it, uh, yeah, this is Harrington. Um, I know, I knew I saw it and it was, mm. yeah, look at this. Okay. This is, um, we as Christians are urged to be witnesses in our turn, in our Western world, at least it, it is not. So elsewhere, we have little to fear that we will be summarily slaughtered and our bodies left out to die where they fall. By and large, our witness is so discreet that the inhabitants of the earth and our part of the world are not troubled. We, for the most part, blend decently into the background of our culture, while we are wholly respectable. John would not rate our Christian witness very highly, nor one fears does he who walks amid the lamps. Right? We blend in, don't we, to the culture. And that's not what we're called to do in this revela in Revelation. We're not called to blend in. We're called to call, call the culture to account and to offer them repentance. Um, the, um, so the, the, uh, another quote, uh, the martyr witness of the church, in other words, will succeed where the plagues failed. This is to show how the nations will come to glorify their creator. This is how the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of the Lord and his Christ, which is precisely the point of the next chapter. Um, so what we have here is a, 
uh, uh, revelation so far has given us a vision of God, our creator. He's uh, a God of mercy and he's grieving over the rebellion of this world and of the corruption of the world. But he's determined to rescue it and to restore it. And he does so through the death of the lamb and now through the faithful death of the lamb's uh, prophetic followers. Um, and, And through the witness of the church, which is faithful to Christ, people will be brought to repentance. Oh, by the way, um, the sealing of the church. Remember, we, we, back in chapter 4, remember, 144,000, they're, they're sealed on their heads with a, with a seal. That matches exactly what's going on here. It, remember, the, the, the sealing comes after the sixth seal. Yeah, comes after the sixth seal is broken and before the seventh. And God's people are protected, right? Here, the same thing happens again. This time it's, it's, it's not described as God's people being sealed with God's seal. It's described as God's people as if it were a temple and a measuring rod is measuring it. So it's the same exact message from a different image. Just wanted to make sure you guys saw that. that um, so Revelation is telling you the same thing, but like a football replay, it's telling you from a different angle um, with a different emphasis. All right. Any questions about this chapter? Any thoughts or comments on this chapter? Grammatical points, ecumenical differences. Anything? All right. Um, okay, let's. I'll, I'll read. I just saw this. I'll read one more thing. This is Richard Bauckham again. He says, This is the heart of the revelation contained on the scroll. This is the heart of the message of revelation as a whole. That the church, redeemed from all nations, is called to suffering witness, which, by virtue of its participation in Jesus' sacrificial witness, can bring the nations to repentance from idolatry and conversion to the true God. In this way, as Jesus' witness is extended throughout the world in in life and death, as well as in preaching of the church, God's kingdom can come to the nations as salvation rather than judgment. That's... It's a a good summary so far of the entire book that we've been dealing with. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have called us to be your witnesses, to go out into the world, into our various places of vocation and work and uh, family, to to be witnesses to you, to proclaim honestly your law and your gospel and to love others uh, and to proclaim this and do this even if it uh, be our death. And so, Lord, we ask for strength. We ask for strength as we uh, try to uh, bear witness to you uh, to do so uh, with your courage, with the courage that's offered by the help of your Holy Spirit, that we may not fear what uh, any people can do to us, but we would trust always in your grace. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.